Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, November 27, 2022. Today's sermon will be from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 31 to 39. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Hebrews chapter 10, that's where we'll be today. We'll finish out the chapter, verses 32 to 39. Hebrews 10, 32 to 39. Before we begin, let's let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this this day again. Thank you so much for the rain. You are so good to send it. We so often do not think about you just caring for this world, um, the good and the evil, by sending rain and keeping us alive father in you we move and live and have our being and you've allotted portions for every one of us um, where we live and so father and where we're born we're and here we are in uh, in landis north carolina and uh, father this in in that sense is uh, this is our allotment and here we are father praising your name and even singing about your fulfillment of your promises to go to the nations with the gospel. Father, we are, we are so blessed. And Father, this morning, as we come together, we, we don't take it for granted. You've given us another time. And as, as Christians, as we come and we read these words from Hebrews, as we consider the truth before us, we pray as always, in spite of me, that you would work. And Father, your faithfulness is, is key. And that is we, what we proclaim today, your faithfulness to, to carry out your promises. Even with Job, none of us have had it as bad as him. But yet, what kept him going with his endurance was, I know that my Redeemer lives. Father, our Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ, and may He be lifted up, may He increase, may we decrease, and may He be more beautiful to us today as we consider um, these words. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Let me read Hebrews 10, 32 to 39. The author, the writer to this Christian group there in Israel, the Hebrews, He says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened. In other words, remember what what happened after you had become Christians. You were enlightened. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Again, that's what we just saw with Job. I know my Redeemer lives and I will one day see him. He will stand on the earth. Verse 35 though. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance. That's the key today, 
Endurance, which is the title of the message is Faithful Endurance. Do not throw away your confidence which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And then he quotes from two Old Testament passages here. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But, verse 39, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. If you'll remember, from two weeks ago, verses 26 to 31, we saw a very serious warning to those who know the truth about the Son of God and then turn away. And after recalling the great punishment that was in the desert, looking back to Israel, that led to the death of an entire generation, he says in verse 29, go back there with me, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace? He is saying these words in the strongest language, I believe, that he can have. And I think he's saying to them and to us, do not fall away. Do not neglect such a great salvation. But instead, press on, persevere, endure. And then in verses 32 to 39, which we just read, he turns to words of assurance. So we go from great words of serious warning then to words of assurance and so these words in my preaching today are words of assurance look there at verse 39 but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve their souls so these words this morning are for us no we are not in danger of trusting the sacrificial system of Moses, but the same principle applies to us today. There's always a danger for those who profess Christ to turn away, to drift away from the Christ who has saved them, from Christ and the living God. I don't know about you guys, but through the years I've seen many people come and go who profess Christ. Have we not? And those folks sat in pews chairs we don't have pews it just goes how the tradition goes back but you, you you know what I'm talking about who sat in places like this and heard sermons over periods of time and then fallen away we all know that and we've seen it and as I look at my own life there's always this fight and as you look at your life there's a fight against against the world the evil world that is around us it's full of sin against against Satan We wrestle not against flesh and blood, against rulers of darkness and and principalities. We we, we fight against our own sin. That's the biggest fight for me, my own sin. And nothing has changed in this regard since the fall of Adam. And so from that time all the way until now, what do we need? We need endurance, endurance. And so these words today are written for our help. And so... We saw warnings two weeks ago, and today I hope this will be more of an encouragement. So with that in mind, 
I hope these truths will help us. I have three. Let me go ahead and give them to you just, just very quickly. Three truths from this passage. We will, the first truth is we will remember the past, the faithfulness of God in the past. Two, we will remember and know now that God is working now in the present and then we will look forward to the future. Know that God will he, will, he will do what He says, and He will fulfill His promises. So let's begin with the first truth. And again, the title of the message is Faithful Endurance. So how do you do it today? How can you get endurance for tomorrow? So the first one, remember the faithfulness of God in the past. Look at verses 32 to 34. He tells them, but recall or remember the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Well, let me say up front with this truth that this first truth of remembering the faithfulness of God in the past is an implication I get from the text. It is a general truth found from page one all the way to the end of the Bible. It is a general truth. And I, th I think the emphasis here is for those Hebrew Christians that he wrote this letter to, to remember that in the earlier days when they were persecuted and those things did happen, to remember their works. We've seen that in, in earlier passages in Hebrews. Remember how you performed and your endurance even during some serious times of suffering and persecuted. And so I think he is saying, remember your past. Remember your circumstances. Remember your sufferings. Remember your persecutions after you came to the faith. Remember that during those times you endured. And remembering that you endured during those times will help you with your endurance now. That's the, I think that's the truth. But the general, the implication I'm getting at that we must remember this morning is the reason we endure. <laughs> and I'm going to come back to Job, and I hadn't planned on doing that, but I'm going to come back to Job at the very end. Why do you think when he says, God, you've actually taken away my hope and you have shot your arrows at me and you have put me under and you have done all of these things with the losing of his kids and, and losing of his possessions and then all of these things that happened to him and then to get sick as he did and then to be the reproach of everybody, even his own wife. And then for him to say, to endure, why do you think he endured? You'll hit on it, for I know that what? My Redeemer lives. And we'll hit that particularly in truth number three. But one of the reasons, if we look back in the context, one of the reasons that Israel of the Old Testament did not endure was because they did not remember the faithfulness of God as he worked in their lives. Judges 8, verse 33 and 34. Gideon had just died in the context there. And as soon as he died, we read, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal bereath their God. They did not endure. So let me ask, why would they choose second-rate pagan gods after everything 
that they had seen God do with Gideon and then slip back into idolatry? Verse 34 gives the answer. The people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. Another example is just Israel after they came out of Egypt. Nehemiah 9, verse 16 to 17, we read, But they and our fathers acted presumptuously, and they stiffened their necks, and they did not obey your commandments. Why? They refused to obey and were not mindful, remembering, recalling the wonders that you performed back then among them. And I think this is, this is a very important truth for us. We must recall the faithfulness of God in the past, both in our own lives and then in his, the way he works in other Christians' lives. And as we're going to see in a moment in how he sent his son. But these are the means, one of the means, that God uses for us that we might endure. In Psalm 63, verses 6 and 7, King David says, When I remember you, talking to God, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. Sometimes when we wake up in the middle of the night and we're thinking about everything under the sun and we're anxious and we're worried of this and that, we should remember the faithfulness of God in the past as David did. I think of Isaiah 46 verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. And part of the trusting in God's faithfulness is to know that what God begins... He will also bring to pass. Isaiah 46, 10, we read, Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. That is the sovereign providence of God in bringing everything that happens to a close in the way He wants to do it. So that's that's thinking about the Old Testament. Some examples as they remembered. Now let's come to the New Testament with us particularly. How do we know God will do what he says? As Christians, what do we do? Yes, we remember the examples of the Old Testament. And we're going to do that in chapter 11 with with the, the, the hall of faith particularly. But how do we do it? We remember the Old Testament, but we also remember how God worked in the lives of Christians, even with the Hebrews. But, And all of these things and all these ways we remember, what displays God's faithfulness the most as we look back? What is it? Well, it is the sending of the Son. That is why we are here today as Christians. Brothers and sisters, we are not like the Old Testament believers. The principle is the same, but we're not like the Old Testament believers who lived before the cross. Yes, they saw great and mighty works, but there is no work of God like sending the Son. Let me say that again. There is no work of God like sending the Son. Look back at verse 32 and notice the reason for their endurance. Look at verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were what? Enlightened. Enlightened about what? 
Well, they were enlightened about all the things that he's been speaking of in the book of Hebrews, which is the, the gospel, the priesthood of Christ, the gospel. They embraced the gospel. They received what they heard. They followed the Lord Jesus. And they didn't just merely believe because of the works that God had done in the past with Israel, the prophets and their fathers. They had come to know the greatest work of God in the Son. Go back to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, 1 and 2. I quote it all the time. Long ago, at many times, many ways, God spoke to our fathers by who? This is Old Testament. Prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us how? In the Son. Brothers and sisters, the greatest work of God in your life is the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian today. This means that when sickness or anxieties or bouts of depression or financial strains or hardships that grip all of us, that are common to all of us in this world we live, or persecutions come because of your faith in Christ, which was their context, or if you have difficulties raising your kids, relationships you might have that are going weary because of the gospel, or as you deal with your own sin in your own life, we remember the great work of God in sending the Son. We must know that in Christ, as even as Blaine read this morning, in Him, if you are a Christian today, all your sins are forgiven. On the cross, He was your sacrifice. He laid down His life, the wrath and judgment for your sin fell upon him. And now he lives. He rose again after three days. And he sits at the right hand of God, which the writer of Hebrews often reminds us. And now as Christians, we are under the new covenant. And he who began a good work in you, listen to these words, he who began a good work in you, Philippians 1.6, will bring it to completion. He is faithful what has happened in the past, he's going to bring forward. He will do what he started. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We need to be reminded of those things today. So the, the word here for endure is to stand one's ground. I remember playing back where we lived at, over in Kannapolis in the Mill Village, playing King of the Hill. Anybody ever done that? Maybe some of us older folks have played King of the Hill. And as a kid, we used to get up on top of the hill, and you, the other kids would run up, and you basically have to get that kid off the top of the hill. Now, you know, who usually stays at the top of the hill? Probably the biggest kid. You can't move them, you know, or... Maybe the toughest kid, but there's always that kid that, that does it. But th th <clears throat> that's what it means to endure. You know, I don't know how well I endured in those days. But when it comes to enduring, the Bible says that we do not stand in our own strength like the big kid. We do not endure on our own. Now, yes, we recall the works of God in the past in our lives, but the foundation of this work is the faithfulness of God in sending the Son. And so that's truth number one. And these are going to overlap a bit, particularly in the, when I get to the end with the applications. But that's truth number one. How do you endure? Remember, 
past faithfulness of God in your life and the lives of others in the Bible, and then remember God did what he said in sending the Son. So number two, how do we endure? We remember the faithfulness of God now in the present. The context of this passage is all about faithful endurance. When? Well, it can only be now. That's, we live now. We live in the present. In their time when this book was written, letter was written to them, they needed endurance in, what the, in the things they were going through. We need endurance now. This is why all applications find their setting in your life now. So just to think about a couple things. When you're, you know, even think about the Grahams and Michael. My heart goes out to you, brother. And for, not just for Michael, but for, for all of us who've lost loved ones. And so when your loved ones just passed, you need endurance now. When you are very anxious about your future or the future of your family or the future of your kids. As all of us who are parents, there's always that there. I mean, I think of, I think of lots of things going on and, I can, and I'm not going to call them out now, but I can see people and what they're going through as we've talked. And I know there's a lot of anxiety. We need endurance. You need endurance now for what's going on. When your loved ones are not walking with the Lord and you're praying that God would save them, you need endurance now. When you wait for the doctor's tests and the results to come back, you need endurance now. When you are depressed, you need endurance now. When you're unsure about specifics of what God has for you and your future, you need endurance do you ever doubt your salvation? Yes. I, we all must admit we have doubts and sometimes the wave comes in. Is this all true? Is what I believe a lie? We need endurance now. When you think it's about Christianity and the things we do, is it all worth it? You need endurance now same application of endurance is what every person of faith has needed from, as I said, from the fall of Adam. That's what we need. This is why in verse 38, he says, look there with me. We're going to look at some verses. My righteous one shall live by faith. That, there's, there's the key there. Endurance and living by faith now. And so to have endurance is to have faith now, in the present. Look at verses 37 and 38 together. Yet a little while, coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Well, this is interesting, as our writer always does. He goes back to the Old Testament to make his point. So these two verses, 37 and 38, if you, in your Bible, you'll notice in, in the ESV, in my type setting, they're set apart. They're not like the rest of them because they're saying these are from the Old Testament. Well, in both of these passages, I went back and read them, and I read the context, and I read the greater part. First one's taken from Isaiah 26, 20. 
The second one is taken from Habakkuk. There's a couple places, but particularly Habakkuk 2, verse 3. And so if you go, when I went back and read both of those books in my study, both of these passages, the context is coming judgment, which, what's the passage of Hebrews? Last bit, warning, coming judgment. There's judgment coming. And so if we go back, um, just let's read them one more time. Verse 37. This is Isaiah 26, 20. Yet a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. So as Israel was going through that judgment, hey, wait, it's coming. He's not going to delay. But hold on, verse 38. But in the midst of that judgment, my righteous one shall live by faith. So let's take this back to the Hebrew Christians. Do you remember, I believe, and I, th I think there's the strongest case to say that Hebrews was written before 70 AD because it talks about so much about the temple particularly but a lot of other reasons but if you go back to their history he's telling them to recall former days when they had persecution but he's talking about some more coming and so do you remember what happened in the 60s the late 60s heading up to 70 AD in Israel with those Hebrew Christians well this week I read, I bet, 50 pages from Josephus and from others. There was a great war that began in 66 AD. Israel there, they said, we've had enough of Rome's yoke upon us. We're going to pull away. And so there's this great revolution. And actually, it was very successful the first, particularly the first year, that such the case that Rome had to pull back their troops because they were being killed what Rome was so much bigger and so they were just biding their time and so little by little little by little this particular four years of history became arguably the worst four years in the history of Israel and during that time as I read there was sickness there was starvation there was suffering there was death and you remember what happened in 70 AD after all the strongholds outside of Jerusalem were all taken by the Romans eventually, they surrounded Jerusalem, and eventually Jerusalem was destroyed, was leveled. And what happened to the temple? 70 AD, it's gone. It's never been built back. It, it's, never, it, it, it's been destroyed. And again, I read about it this week, and it was horrible what happened. I believe, this is my strong opinion, that this author is referring to something that is coming even in their day by quoting Isaiah and Habakkuk under a time of judgment and there's coming judgment hey but you live by faith do you remember Jesus as well just putting this back into context Jesus telling his disciples that the temple would be destroyed and they ask him wow you this temple right over here is he speaking this temple over here is going to be destroyed and he, he says all kinds of things about it. He said, not one stone will be left upon another. And they're like, wow, when will these things be? And Jesus says, I, I believe there at the beginning, you will see these things happen. But here's what Jesus says in Matthew 24. So when you see, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. 
Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. By the way, in my reading, a great number, a majority of the Christians fled during that time when nobody else did. Because he said, you see the signs of the times coming? And so they fled. Many of them fled. Not all of them, of course. Many of them could not. But he says to them, so let, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Here, here, here we are. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in the house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, which was still happening there in Israel. So I think in light of these words by Jesus and other, a lot of other things as well, I believe the author is warning the Hebrews that in a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. Therefore, in light of judgment to come, which goes right along with Isaiah 20 and Habakkuk 2, he's saying, therefore, the righteous will live by faith. Do not fall away. You be steadfast. You endure because God takes no pleasure in the one who falls away, which is right here in our text. Remember how you endured in the past and the faithfulness of God then and nothing has changed, brothers and sisters. Press on, press on. The principle, though, for us is this. God's people will live through times of judgment among the nations, wherever we are. We, we're here. We haven't had great judgment per se like this upon this nation, but it, through the nations of the world, throughout history, we could spend a lot of time there and just recall over and over and over how Christians have been a part of God's judgments, judgments, upon different nations. But the principle is this, even through it all, God will protect his people for those who live by faith. So let me ask you this, does this mean that, if, that during the time of Jerusalem, does this mean that God preserved all of those Christians from, from death? No, I believe, of course, some of them died because we've seen that throughout history. God does not always protect his people from physical death. But for those who are in Christ, where are our souls? They're hidden in the cleft of the rock. They're hidden in Christ who sits in heaven. And that's where we are now in our position. And he will work all things for good. To those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Also, we must keep in mind that all the judgments of God throughout history, in, in all of his providence and all of the judgments upon sinful nations, all of those judgments are just a shadow, a prelude to the second coming of Christ when there will be the books opened and the great judgment throne of God right there and so all of these are just shadows of that one time so that's still the principle whether I miss this in my interpretation of Hebrews with 70 AD or not isn't it, the principle still stands no matter where we are on this side of things God will protect his people in times of judgment and in the coming judgment if you are in Christ your sins are laid upon Christ 
They've fallen upon him and he's given you his righteousness. And God will say to you, he's already said to us who are in Christ, you are not guilty. The principle is the same. And so here we are, as long as sin remains in this world and in our own hearts, which of us have not sinned this week in some way, shape, or form? Even sins that we don't even know about in our heart. And we should pray that God would reveal those things to us. But which of us has not sinned? And as long as the enemy is on the prowl as a roaring lion, 1 Peter 5, 8, as long as the judgments of God upon the nations continue, we have need of endurance. And this will not end until the Lord Jesus comes back. We must remember the faithfulness of God now. God is making history now as he is working his will in this world. And though we may, we may see his will as delay, do you ever think that God's will is delay? Of course we do. I've thought a lot about that this week. Wow, your promises. Think back to Job from the oldest book, maybe the oldest book, old, old man back at Abraham's time or whatever. That, did he delay? Well, with God, one day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day, but God does not delay, for sure. He does not. And He may deliver you from your physical circumstance right now. He may. And that often happens in His grace and His kindness and His long-suffering. Your time of suffering will, will, will come to an end for now. And He may delay. I mean, He may <clears throat> do that in your life. But he may not. He may not. Even as we've heard all of the missionary biographies through the years with Jimmy and Scott, we found, I mean, it seems like with David Brainerd, the young man, boy, just the, the burden upon his life all those years. And it seems like God never took that away and he died at, at a young age. He may not in your life. He may not. We must come to grips with that. But as we will see in chapter 11 coming up, many of the faithful lived as heroes, but many of the faithful died as heroes. They're both there, but all of them endured. Brothers and sisters, God will not leave you, nor will he forsake you today. He is working now in your life. Therefore, you can endure and this brings us to our last truth this morning. We look forward. Forward to what? Know this is the truth. Know if you're going to endure, and again, this is the kicker. Know that God will fulfill his promise. This is really, I think, the point of the passage. This is the key to endurance. Now, for us as Christians, for the person who has faith, yes, we must look back to God's faithfulness. Yes, we must know that God is faithful now, but there is no hope if we do not have something to look forward to. So without this hope, God has made it this way. We will not endure, but with this hope, we will endure. Therefore, this passage teaches us to look forward to the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise. Look at verses 35 and 36. And here's the application right here to them from this pastor. Therefore, brothers and sisters, do not throw away your confidence. 
which has great reward. There's reward coming. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Here the author reminds those Hebrews and us that God is faithful to keep his promise. Look back at chapter 10, verse 23. We could recall a lot in Hebrews, but just one verse. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is what? Faithful. Brothers and sisters, the reward of your faithfulness is the fulfillment of God's promise. (laughs) It's probably a weird way to say that. But let me say it a couple different ways. Your faithfulness now is evidence of your faith. We're going to see that in in, in 11.1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We're going to see that. So if we think about the faithfulness that you are having right now, endurance right now, that it is the evidence of your faith, we can also say that it is the proof that you are doing the will of God. So how faithful are you now? How much are you enduring now? And what is, when we think about the will of God, what is the will of God? That's a loaded question, isn't it? I'll just answer it briefly in many ways. It is to fear Him. The Bible says, fear the Lord your God. That's just a humility knowing that He is, he, he is God. It is to, to, know the, to, to do the will of God is to trust Him. It's to love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is to, as Paul says, walk in Him. It is to obey Him. All of these things, this is what it is to do the will of God. It is to pursue Him above all earthly pleasures. It is to renounce ungodliness, as Titus tells us, and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright lives, godly lives in this present age. That's what it is to do the will of God. And and again, what is the will of God? It is your sanctification. Just another way of saying that. And in our context with Hebrews, here for them, it is to endure hardships. But for us, this means that today we endure in this sinful world because God is faithful to keep His promise. We've seen the promise kept in the Son, sending the Son the first time, and then looking forward. Even when we take the Lord's Supper, we do it until when? Till He comes. And so when we think about that, God's faithfulness to keep His promise, it's going to give us a sneak peek over into chapter 11. Just think with me. This is the author's point. Why did Abel offer a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain? Why did Enoch live godly in an ungodly world and then he was taken up? Why did Noah build a huge boat? Why would he do that? Why did Abraham leave his home to enter a foreign land? Why did Abraham, when he was tested, offer up his son, Isaac, on the altar? Why did Jacob, father of Joseph and the 12 tribes, why did, when he went down into Egypt, the very end of his life, why did he bless his sons and put them on his his knees and bless them? Why did Joseph tell his brothers and his children, take my bones back to Canaan? 
Why would he do that? Why did Moses give up all the riches of Egypt as the second in charge and then go and give all that away to suffer with his people? Well, I'm just curious. Anybody ever read the book Future Grace by John Piper? Oh, my goodness. It's one of the best books ever written. Well, he tells, I read that this week. He's got a chapter on this. Looking, the whole thing is about future grace. Looking back, future grace. But he tells a story about a young French girl, 17th century, put in, put in prison for her faith as a Christian, a, a French Huguenot. And then when she was brought before the, the council, they, they said, all you need to do, and there were, by the way, 30 others as well that she represented, 30 other ladies. She was 14 years old. All she had to do was renounce her faith. But she did not. She said, I resist. <laughs> and along with 30 other women, they, they were all put into a tower by the sea for 38 years in prison. 14-year-old girl. Can you imagine sitting there for 38 years? That make you how old? 38, 48, 52? For 38 years and see all the changes that take place in your body and be there in that tower for 38 years. Why would someone do that? Why would someone do all the things that I just mentioned in, in, in Hebrews 11? Well, look over at chapter 11, verses 36 to 38. Others suffered mocking, flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, Verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. <laughs> Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Why? Why would they do this? Look at verse 39. And all those, though commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Again, why would they do that? Why would they endure such hardships? Well, the key is in verse 38, I think. Look back, back at 38. Of whom the world was not worthy. You see, as Christians, we see and we know that the only thing, the, the only, not a thing, the only one worthy, the only one who has infinite value is who? God, God himself. And you know what the Bible says? He is our reward. Can you imagine? God is our reward. And he has promised to give himself. In Genesis 15, God is speaking with Abram before his name was changed. And he says to Abraham, do not be afraid, or Abram, do not be afraid. I am your shield your very great reward. God says the same to the priests of the Old Testament. Did you know that the tribe of Levi and the priests, they were given no inheritance in the land? <laughs> Just a picture. Why? In Deuteronomy 18.2, we read, they shall have, talking about the priests, they shall have no inheritance among the brothers. Why? Why did God leave that one tribe out of their inheritance? Because the rest of the verse in 18.2 says, here's the reason. The Lord is their inheritance as he promised them. 
When we come to the New Testament, Peter says it's over and over again. But Peter, I'll just read Peter. Peter says about us today. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we are, we, in Christ, by the Spirit, who are we? We are priests. And who is our inheritance? Just in the same way, the picture there, God is our inheritance. It's not just the land. And then he also says in, in chapter 9, excuse me, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Brothers and sisters, the promise, and I'm winding down here in a minute, I've got some applications, but hang with me for just a few more minutes. The promise that God will give himself to his people is the greatest motive for our endurance. It is the greatest motive to know that God is great. And I hope that through the years that I have tried, and many times I don't, but to preach God is great and God is good and He is above all things and His value is infinite. Therefore, why would we be idolatrous in this life and sin against our brothers and sisters, sin against God? Why would we be selfish? Why would we not follow Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Why would we not forsake the pleasures of sin, well, maybe we don't know how great He is, but we do. And those of you who are Christians, you know what I'm talking about. I read, I read the last, came through my Bible reading, Lamentations, recently. Let me read just a few verses. Lamentations 3, verses 21 to 26. Here's what. I think the, the author is, is Jeremiah. He's lamenting over the judgment of God upon Israel, taking them off to Babylon, but coming there. But anyway, Lamentations, here's what he says. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. We quote that verse often. Great is your faithfulness. So is he, what's he doing? God is faithful in the past, the present, and he's faithful in the future. And then he says, the Lord is my portion. So someone say, I, I'll get that piece of pizza, and I'll get that piece of pizza, and I'll get, I'll get the piece, and our piece, brothers and sisters as Christians, our piece is God. He is our portion. And he says, the Lord is my portion. So in all of his sufferings with same context with the Hebrews, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, there's no greater motive. And if you are a Christian today, you know what I am talking about. If you are not a Christian today, then you don't, you don't know what I am talking about. Looking back at my own life, when I became a Christian... I have to say, there was just a love for God and His Son that motivated me to give up things and to move on. And it is still the same today. And so it fits the context of Hebrews because there may be some of us who are sitting here and saying, I'm, I'm on the verge of drifting away or 
pulling away or falling away or turning away. May it not be so in this place. May these words help us, encourage us as we wait for our reward, as we look forward to that. So with that in mind, I have just a few applications this morning before we close. First application, this is just a kind of a summary But the will of God for your life as a Christian is faithful endurance. That's the will of God. Just faithful, plodding away, following the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever that looks like. It's working in a local church all of your days and just plodding along through the ups and the downs and the good and the bad. Just plodding away. And so the will of God for your life is faithful endurance. Another application. And I've already shared this, but this, 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 this text speaks of this. But this also means that those who do not do the will of God and live by faith are those who shrink back and are destroyed. Look at verse 38. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. What does that say? God, has a, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. No, if you've shrunk away... The wrath of God hangs upon you. That is what it is to be. God does not delight in your soul if you are outside of Christ. So therefore, therefore, those who profess Christ do not shrink back, do not fall away, do not drift away from the faith. Another application. Be patient. Walk in faithfulness. When you get to the end of your time and you get to heaven, what are the words that we read the Lord Jesus is going to say to you? Well done, good and what? Faithful servant. Life is short and full of troubles. Who said that this morning? Did you say that? Jimmy said that. I'm I'm sure I got that from Jimmy back in the day. He is my elder. But it is true, and that's what the Bible says. So for us, be faithful. God has promised. He is faithful, and He will fulfill all His promises. There is a salvation, a final salvation that awaits. And what is your reward? Is it heaven? Yes, it is heaven. Is it a city? Yes, city comes down from heaven. Is it peace forevermore? Yes. Is it that your tears... And your sorrows will be wiped away forever? Yes. Will you struggle with sin anymore? No, you will not. Will you see your loved ones who've gone before you? Yes. Will you have a new body? As we get older, we want that new body more and more. Yes. And all of these is, are, are your great reward. We haven't even talked about those things. But these things are only the minute pictures and shadows and preliminaries of your greatest reward. And what is this reward? It is God. God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. All the other rewards only flow down from who he is, sending the Son. God is your reward. Another application. What waits you in heaven in that day cannot compare to the sufferings of this life. I'll just mention that because Paul speaks about that. Nothing will compare to, your, to, to what you will get in heaven. Another application. There's always this tension of, 
of now, dealing and fighting with sin, being in Christ, but yet the waiting, you know, the not yet to come. No matter where you're at in this world, no matter what eschatological position you hold, that is still always true. And so we must be weary of that and aware of that. Another application. Our joy in this world comes by knowing that we have a better possession. In Hebrews, what does he talk about all the while? The better city, the better sacrifice, the better place. The, everything is better in Christ and now he sits at the right hand of God. So our joy comes as we look to those things in this life. And final application. Things of this life can be taken, but not what God holds for us in heaven. Therefore, hold on to the things of this world very loosely because they will, they will come and they will go. Do not be afraid to lose them. Those are my applications for this morning, and I'm going to finish up with just reminding us of Job. 19 of all the places Gil to read today. All of these things happened to Job. If this one chapter, if you read a Job, this would be the one I'd say to read. But what kept him going? Faithful endurance. What kept him going? Verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. And my heart faints within me. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove. You can also join us at the South Row NYMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.